Welcome to the Law and Justice Podcast brought to you by Froja K. Today I'm going to discuss access to justice through ADR or Alternative Dispute Resolution. I hope many of you are already familiar with the term ADR. I believe today's episode will be very much helpful for law students who are studying ADR or Access to Justice at any university. So stay tuned and listen to the full episode. In many parts of the world, the adoption of alternative dispute resolution processes was premised on creating better access to justice for citizens, particularly those with lesser means. ADR's foundational link with access to justice is in relation to not only justice as a process for the resolution of disputes, but also justice in relation to equality of access and equitable outcomes. Bill argues that access to justice conveys different meanings to different people. It can refer to an ideal, the fundamental principle that all people should enjoy equality before the law, and a claim that the ideal is achievable. Or to dispute resolution in the civil justice system or to reform of the civil justice system. Substantial authority from our enforcement of legal constraints and more closely related to ADR innovative dispute resolution mechanisms adapted to the needs of poor and disadvantaged people and could also require measures designed to allow for the realization of economic, social and cultural rights and to redress the power imbalances created by great inequalities of wealth. The various understandings of access to justice result in differences in how access to justice and ADR innovations are developed and assessed across jurisdictions and context. Given the several meanings of access to justice, examining the relationship between ADR and access to justice is complex. For instance, if one of the objectives of ADR is to address the justice needs of the poor and disadvantaged, what measures in ADR processes and in particular mediation are required to counter the effect of power imbalance on equal participation and outcomes? Questions have been raised about the viability of neutrality and self-determination and whether the assumption that individuals are always in a position to negotiate the best outcomes for themselves in a dispute resolution process represents the reality for users of ADR. This has been raised in relation to unrepresented parties, racial minorities, women, the poor, and in fields such as family, workplace, and consumer protection. It is argued that there have been two waves of skepticism relating to the relationship between mediation and justice. In the 1990s, there were those who took the position that informal justice or ADR is a form of state operation intruding into private arenas, individuating conflict and diffusing discontent. Then there were those who lamented the lack of focus on public values and public interest and reinforcement of legal principles that provided normative guidance to society. 
While these issues have been debated for several decades, the adoption and expansion of ADR appear to have pushed justice issues into the background. The growth of ADR has generally continued without the formal regulation of processes and practices. In addition, ADR practitioners' inability to organize and be organized as a profession, the lack of coherence in regard to what constitutes ethical practice of ADR, the description of ADR processes, and finally, the hybridization of ADR processes have created further gaps in ADR's access to justice discourse. These dynamics have led to multiple variations of ADR processes, creating a challenging environment for ADR regulation. Users of ADR processes often enter processes without a clear understanding of the process or lacking the capacity to engage in the process or participate effectively. The need for global regulation of ADR in order to improve access to justice has been proposed by Stefik and Unbers. It is suggested that such regulation should proceed on the basis of agreed principles. Principled regulation, they argue, is important for setting standards in ADR and promises justice across the various types of dispute resolution mechanisms and will foster freedom, equality, and efficiency. Furthermore, they argued that the regulation of dispute resolution should be based on normative individualism as well as just and efficient dispute resolution. While Stefik and Unver identified this principle as, an, as necessary for dispute resolution uh, regulation, they also adopt party self-determination and existing descriptions of processes to assign duties to ADR participants while acknowledging that differences may exist across jurisdictions and cultures. By embracing normative individualism, the assessment of justice in ADR is linked to parties and beyond practitioners' authority. This regulatory approach may, however, lead unresolved questions relating to the capacity of ADR to promote justice between parties. Even where ADR regulation in the form of ethical principles and accreditation exists, empirical research has found that standards are limited in promoting justice in ADR processes. For example, mediators, when faced with ethical dilemmas, find existing standards inadequate. The restrictions placed on the mediator by ethical courts appear to disempower them in relation to promoting outcome justice. This also clears ethical dilemmas for ADR practitioners. In some instances, ADR practitioners may withdraw from or terminate the process where they find it difficult to do justice because of regulatory constraints. Regardless of the complex relationship between ADR and access to justice, the growth in ADR has often been due to an emphasis on the well-known advantages. These include efficiency in relation to the time and cost of resolving disputes both to parties and to the government, as well as the relational benefits in terms of supporting parties in fostering relationships into the future. The disadvantages of ADR have been relegated to the background in most jurisdictions and ADR's value of increasing access to justice has been celebrated. Furthermore, 
evidence of settlement rights in area programs including code connected area programs has been pivotal in the growth of area the endorsement of area based mostly on the number of settlements achieved prompted a renowned scholar to comment that mediation is just about settlement and not about just settlements however policy makers are now encouraging further research into the relationship between adr and improved access to justice for example the australian productivity commission has stated that more consulted efforts are needed to understand the impact of mandated adr in improving access to justice ADR enables parties to reach an agreement without the need to go to court. It allows parties to settle amicably without the lengthy, costly, and draining formal procedural curse. It was introduced to achieve a sense of justice for all citizens who lack the financial means to go through the litigation procedure. In UK, the old free board and the Jackson reforms put greater emphasis on ADR and lays on adversarialism to promote access to justice for ordinary people the civil procedure rules 1998 entitled curse to terminate proceedings if they believe the dispute could have been resolved with the use of adr the interaction of the rules was an indication that the curse in uk were promoting the use of adr over litigation supported by the case of janet versus railtrack where it was held that any party's refusal to use ADR would incur cost penalties. This rule was overruled by the Healthy Guidelines, which rejected the idea of compelling parties to pursue ADR. Lord Justice Lightman stated that it's up to the court to determine whether the refusal of ADR was reasonable or not. There is an interrelation between the rule of law and access to justice being upheld and this link was first established by Professor Mauro Capelletti. Consequently, while establishing a link between the rule of law and affording access to justice, he also shed light on the correlation between access to justice and ADR. Accessibility and fairness are the core values to afford access to justice. ADR and litigation have a similar procedure and common objective, which is to settle disputes among the parties. The fairness of the decision made can be questioned when a party is unwillingly coerced into using different forms of ADR. Informed consent to use ADR to resolve disputes promotes human dignity and promotes party autonomy to the decision being raised. Owen Fierce supported the idea of consensual ADR in order to get justice. Consensual ADR ensures access to justice being delivered in a fair manner. going to discuss the different forms of ADR. The process of arbitration 
is a form of private adjudicated justice in which an arbitrator is appointed to resolve a dispute between parties. The arbitrator is responsible to form an agreement between the parties. The decision passed by an arbitrator is known as an arbitral award, which is usually binding upon the parties. The law recognizes and enforces the award internationally under the New York Convention 1958. The introduction of the Arbitration Act 1996 provides guidelines regarding the process of arbitration. Arbitration aims to deliver a faster and reasonably cheaper resolution. Unlike litigation, arbitration is confidential as the arbitrator is appointed by a tribunal and the information remains between the arbitrator and the parties. Arbitration is encouraged in business disputes as evident in premium NAFTA products versus PLE shipping, where it was highlighted that the use of arbitration in disputes is beneficial over the court process as it enables an agreement between the two parties while maintaining the relationship. In the event where the disputed parties would have sought the litigation process, the relationship would have deteriorated and thus the flow of their business would have decreased since only one party benefits from the decision made by the court. Arbitration has similar elements to that of the court, but the difference lies in the confidentiality aspect and that the procedure is informal as compared to the court. The wider question arises whether this form of ADR provides access to justice. Arbitration being similar to courts and the fact that the decision is binding upon parties raises uncertainty surrounding why individuals should prefer arbitration over courts if they are perceived similar by the layman. Impartial arbitrators may hinder with the fairness characteristic of arbitration. In some instances, litigants cannot pay the fees of the arbitration process. This form of ADR has diminished the access to justice principle in the context of employment and consumer arbitration. This is due to the nature of the agreement, in which it is difficult to appeal to court, consequently denying access to courts, hence interfering with the principle of access to justice. This further hinders the process for a fair trial under Article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights. The Paris Court of Appeal held that there should be no denial of justice where the litigant cannot pay for the process of arbitration. While well, arbitration has proved that it is an effective model of error, the competence of the arbitrator is often unquestionable. Hence, it can be confidently stated that arbitration does provide access to justice, but at the cost of surrendering an individual's rights to the judge. Mediation and conciliation are a form of non-adjudicative justice, which includes a third-party mediator and conciliator who is appointed by parties in a dispute or by courts. This form of ADR is less formal than arbitration and provides more flexibility to the agreement made. A mediator's role is to facilitate the conversation between the disputing parties and to reach a mutually amicable settlement which is acceptable to both parties. This is confidential, cheap, and provides an accelerated settlement. In mediation, the mediator cannot impose a settlement upon parties. 
The parties decide whether they want to settle to the arrangement put forward by the mediator. This method is preferable to the parties because in the event they fail to settle, they will potentially have a decision imposed upon them by the judge, as the matter is likely to proceed to arbitration or litigation. Mediation is commonly used in cases of diverse personal injury, employment insurance, and children cases. It is proven to be effective as it is a consensual process. Mediation is disallowed in child abuse and domestic violence cases as the mediator's decision is not binding upon the parties and in these circumstances, one has to order restraining orders in order to prevent further harm to those who are vulnerable. The Lord Chancellor's Department Report 2018 indicates 62% of cases which adopted the practice of mediation found it more effective and efficient than litigation. In conciliation, a third party is appointed in order to assist the disputing parties to reach a settlement. Conciliation is largely looked upon in labor and consumer disputes with the aim to rekindle the relationship between two parties. Unlike in mediation, where the meeting is between the two parties, which may make the scenario uncomfortable for either party, the role of the conciliator is unlike the negotiator in a proceeding. Advisory Conciliation and Arbitration Service ACAS, enables a conciliator to discuss the issues with both the parties to gain a better understanding of the situation while affording each party's rights and interests. ACAS conciliation is about parties knowing and understanding their rights as opposed to the vindication of their rights in court. The Enterprise and Regulatory Reform Act 2013 made it mandatory for pre-claim conciliation before bringing a claim to the tribunal. The question of choosing for a pre-claim conciliation should remain with the party as opposed to legislation being passed with the intention to impose on the parties to attend this form of ADR before proceeding to litigation. Nonetheless, ACAS conciliation is a step forward to promote access to justice for citizens. In 2002, statistics for dispute settlement displayed an 81% success rate, indicating that this form of ADR is highly effective. The UNCITRAL model lays down the guidelines that mediators and conciliators should follow. To name a few, the principle of neutrality, respecting confidentiality, and acknowledging the party's rights. The use of ADO, particularly mediation, dropped with the implementation of the Legal Aid Sentencing and Punishment of Offenders Act 2012, an act although enacted by the government to promote ADO prior to using the court process, backfired since legal aid was denied in civil cases with the intention to establish the financials of the English courts. Legal aid was permitted for mediation, but the lack of knowledge and awareness surrounding it led to a decline in the use of mediation. This is a prime example of why lawyers and courts should make citizens aware of different cost-effective alternatives, allowing parties to have equal bargaining power in a dispute. In disputes, parties seek the expertise of lawyers who charge exorbitant amounts and the denial of legal aid prevents parties from seeking the needed expertise. Therefore, LUSPO may hinder 
access to justice, which is a pillar of the rule of law. Party autonomy and self-determination play a vital factor in differentiating the courts from mediation. Coercing a party to use a method of idiot by imposing cost penalties in the event they fail to do so questions the effectiveness and willingness of party to mediate in unwelcome circumstances. Diminished consent mediation could be troublesome in scenarios where there is unequal bargaining power between the parties. This is because in court and next mediation, the mediator could be biased, hence creating unfairness to the process and denying them underprivileged access to justice. On the contrary, it is argued that compelling parties to mediate will expose a large number of people to the benefits and experience of mediation. Therefore, in the event where a party wants to pursue mediation, the process should be voluntary, allowing both sides to benefit from the justice being provided. The use of ADR has been encouraged and enforced by the courts. In Cole v. Plymouth City Council, it was held that the parties should consider the use of ADR before commencing legal proceedings. The alternative method has been effective in order to reduce the burden in the courts in civil disputes and has allowed courts to allocate the necessary amount of resources to the civil process of dispute resolution. In Halsey v. Milton Keynes NSS Trust and Virgil v. Bullard, an encouragement of ADR in civil dispute is evident. Halsey laid down a set of guidelines regarding whether it was appropriate for parties to resort to court proceedings and not choose an ADR. The issue of ADR voluntarily or by compulsion has raised several ambiguities in providing access to justice and whether it is justified at the cost of meaningful consent. A party should have the freedom to use ADR or the court to resolve their dispute to ensure a free and fair transparent system of justice without the use of coercion. Road Justice Jackson supports education and facilitation of ADR as opposed to the coercive nature of the court. Civil Mediation Council 2003 and Mediation Information Assessment Meetings have been established to support and promote the use of ADR. Access to Justice Movements aims to protect the rights of citizens by not restricting their access to courts. With the advancement of technology, online dispute resolution has been proposed in order to achieve a greater sense of access to justice. The European Union elaborated upon access to justice to embrace judicial and extrajudicial dispute resolution alternatives. ADR should be considered as an alternative to the courts and not a substitute by maintaining this accessibility and transparency within the consensual decision-making process. It allows the parties to explore the legitimacy of different types of justice under ADR. Civil justice is on path for success by providing awareness, availability, and encouragement of ADR to resolve a dispute by administering access to justice to all. Regulation of ADR in order to improve access to justice has been proposed by Stephen and Unbrush. 
It suggested that such regulation should proceed on the basis of agreed principles. Principle regulation, they argue, is important for setting standards in ADA and promises justice across the various types of dispute resolution mechanisms and will foster freedom, equality, and efficiency. Furthermore, they argue that the regulation of dispute resolution should be based on normative individualism as well as just and efficient dispute resolution. While Stifak and Unberth identified this principle as necessary for dispute resolution regulation, they also adopt party self-determination and existing descriptions of processes to assign duties to ADR participants while acknowledging that differences may exist across jurisdictions and cultures. By embracing normative individualism, the assessment of justice in ADR is led to parties and beyond practitioners' authority. This regulatory approach may, however, leave unresolved questions relating to the capacity of ADR to promote justice between parties. Even where ADR regulation in the form of ethical principles and accreditation exists, Empirical research has found that standards are limited in promoting justice in ADA processes. For example, mediators, when faced with ethical dilemmas, find existing standards inadequate. The restrictions placed on the mediator by ethical courts appear to disempower them in relation to promoting outcome justice. This also creates ethical dilemmas for ADA practitioners. In some instances, ADA practitioners may withdraw from or terminate the process while they find it difficult to do justice because of regulatory constraints. Regardless of the complex relationship between ADR and access to justice, the growth in ADR has often been due to an emphasis on the well-known advantages. These include efficiency in relation to the time and cost of resolving disputes both to parties and to the government as well as the relational benefits in terms of supporting parties in fostering relationships into the future. The disadvantages of ADR have been relegated to the background in most jurisdictions and ADR's value of increasing access to justice has been celebrated. Furthermore, evidence of settlement rates in ADR programs including court-connected ADR programs has been pivotal in the growth of ADR. The endorsement of ADR based mostly on the number of settlements achieved prompted a renowned scholar to comment that mediation is just about settlement and not about just settlements. However, policymakers are now encouraging further research into the relationship between ADR and improved access to justice. For example, the Australian Productivity Commission has stated that more concerted efforts are needed to understand the impact of mandated ADR in improving access to justice. Thank you for listening. I hope now you have a better idea about alternative dispute resolution. You should also know the benefits and disadvantages of private dispute resolution processes or ADR. I should remind you that ADR has been adopted by jurisdictions around the world to ensure greater access to justice. Now I would like to mention the different types of ADR available under UK jurisdiction. Those include arbitration, only neutral evaluation, expert determination, mediation, conciliation, made ARB 
which is a hybrid process and combines mediation and arbitration, ombudsman, and online dispute resolution known as ODR. There is a question of the extent to which mediation and other ADR processes contribute to the concept of access to justice. The government and, to some extent, the judiciary increasingly present mediation not merely as a useful alternative or supplement to public course, but as an equal or indeed preferable method of handling disputes that increase access to justice. Menkel Meadow argues that some forms of ADR and Settlement policies provide the potential for greater access to justice. She argues that not everyone wants to deal with disputes in the same way and that if there is a variety of dispute resolution processes available, this may offer more rather than less justice in terms of the variety of processes and the variety of outcomes that may be achieved. Jen argues that the privatization of civil justice may have implications for the collective interest in the justice system and more broadly for the community as a whole. She has argued that there are rule of law implications concerning the value of public adjudication, the potential loss of precedent in common law systems, and the unknown consequences of the unregulated processes and substantive outcomes of private dispute resolution. Menkel Meadow takes a different view, leveling those who worry about the privatization of civil justice as litigation romantics. She suggests that the demise of the adversary system of trial is a continuing evolutionary development of our Anglo-American legal system. She suggests that societies are in a transition similar to the transition from trial by audio to trial by judge and jury. Stay tuned and listen my next episode on delay in justice system. Thank you again. Stay safe, stay empowered, and raise your voice against injustice anywhere.